A small note on that hymn that you just sang. In case you are not aware, that third verse is a verse that is traditionally sung at bedsides during the commendation of the dying. So it's actually a very good hymn to be, to actually have memorized, especially that third verse. Because one day, you, many of us will hear it. So, anyways, the text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson and the epistle lesson, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. These three readings that we have for today, all three of them have something very similar. And that is the reaction of the people to God's word. You have Jeremiah the prophet, who is telling the people of Jerusalem that if they relent, God, if they repent, that God would relent of the destruction that is due to them. Their reaction to hearing this is to try to kill Jeremiah. The old, in the gospel lesson, we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus saying, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jesus is, think about this, really. The people of Israel have been longing for a Messiah. They've been longing to see the Christ for so long. It had been several hundred years since the canon of the Old Testament had been closed. They live under the reign of the Roman Empire. And in some of their minds, that's the job of the Christ, is to save them from the Romans. Now, that was incorrect, but that's what some of them think. And so here, they have this man who's performing all kinds of signs. He's making the, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to speak, and something very significant is that he's making the blind to see. You can look all throughout your Old Testament and you will not find any miracles regarding making blind people see. And the reason is, is because that was a sign of the Christ. Only the Messiah would make the blind to see. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so they have seen Jesus doing this. This is why Jesus singled it out for John the Baptist's followers. And even, so they have the evidence right before them that this man must be the Christ. And the reaction is, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And the thing is, is the Pharisees could make sure to it that he wouldn't be killed. They have enough sway amongst the people. Jerusalem trying to kill the prophets. Jesus echoing much the very same thing that happened to Jeremiah. Then you have the writing to the Philippians. In verse 18, G Paul writes... For many of whom I have often told you, and tell you, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
See, when Paul is writing this, it wouldn't make sense if he's talking about people who were never Christians. He's talking about people who were at one time believers. There's a teaching that gets spread around by some Christians that of what's called once saved, always saved. In other words, that a person can never walk away from the faith. A person can never lose their salvation. But verse 18 doesn't make sense if that doctrine is true. Because then there would never, he would say, then he would not be worried about it as much. Because these are people who were always lost. Rather, he's talking about people who were once believers, but walked away. I mean, think about that. Right in that reading in Philippians, he tells what the reward is of salvation. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Did you know that as a Christian, you have dual citizenship? Yes, you are a citizen of the United States of America, but your greater citizenship is, is heaven. You belong to the kingdom of God. As a citizen of the, your role as a citizen in the United States actually is ultimately all in service to your role as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You know that old hymn, I'm but a stranger here, heaven is my home? That's what it's properly saying. It's not talking about that you're leaving from this, place, this, this earth. It's a reference to this verse that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Because there are some that would like to say, well, that, see, you just go up to heaven and that's it. The, the whole problem with that is verse 14, or the very next verse, which says, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body, this one, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, that is the promise. I mean, okay, raise your hand if any of you have parts of your body that don't work right the way you like them, like it to. Okay. Now I know the youngest will be like, ah, I'm still doing fine. But... <laughs> But the thing is, is this right there is the promise that, 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 by the way, that's the sign of the lowly body. But God in his power, for those who believe in him, who confess him as Lord, the promise is that this lowly body will be raised from the dead to be like his glorious body. That is the promise of salvation. And yet, as Paul says many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. These words were, the words of Jeremiah were written several hundred years before the words of Jesus were spoken. And the words of Jesus were spoken about 30 years prior to Paul writing his. And therefore, it should not be a surprise that these words could be words spoken to us this day. Think about it. In a few weeks, on a Friday, there, we will be celebrating a service that is known as Good Friday. A day that we focus and meditate upon the sufferings and death of Jesus. Jesus. 
And what, what greater sacrifice was there in the history of the world than that event? The answer is nothing. Nothing is greater. And one of the things that is amazing that I hear amongst, from Lutherans is that they have never been to a Good Friday service in their entire life. Lutherans are known as theologians of the cross. And yet there are so many Lutherans who cannot bother to give up one Friday once a year to celebrate the death of Jesus for you. On Easter Sunday, churches around the country will be filled to the brim. Our own church this congregation will swell up to over 400 people on that weekend. Double that of what we get on a typical week, Sunday. And yet, and I, mean, think, I want you to think about this. What do you hear on Easter? The message that is heard on Easter is extra, extraordinarily awesome. You are hearing that sin, death, and the devil has been defeated. You are hearing... And this is something that's so valuable in our own work, in our, in our community. We are a community with an aging population, therefore we are constantly surrounded by death. And so we are reminded, we hear the message that our body will rise from the dead. We are he you hear on Easter that death has been defeated. And yet, the very next Sunday, and this is pretty much common of every church on, on, pretty much in the, on the planet. The, net, the Sunday after Easter is the lowest attended church Sunday of the church year. One week later, we forget as if any, we act like nothing happened. Or how about on Confirmation Sunday? This verse is a verse that I think probably many pastors can write, could say to some degree. Because some, as a pastor, we spend two years with confirmands, wrestling with them, not literally, but definitely some mental wrestling, guiding them to the point of the confirmation. Where they come up and they confess that they believe in the teaching, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. Confessing that they would rather face death than reject this faith. Confessing that they, would not, that they would regularly receive the Lord's Supper. They would regularly hear God's word. And yet it's a problem over in every congregation in this country. We know that even though after... I mean, think about what happens on confirmation. In churches like ours, where confirmation is tied to First Communion, they're going to come up and they're going to, hear, after all those years, seeing their parents, their grandparents, other people come up and receive the Lord's Supper. For the very first time, they get to hear, take, eat, this is the body of Jesus given for you, specifically you. Then they're going to see that, take that wine and say, take, drink, this is the blood of Jesus given for you, for the forgiveness of your sin. And yet, pastors could think with tears of the reality is that for many of them, 
that's the last time they'll receive the Lord's Supper, possibly ever. Many of them don't come back to church until maybe the graduate recognition service, and then again, don't return until maybe a wedding, a baptism, or a maybe their own funeral. That these words can be written to our generation. We as all, not just pastors, the, every Christian, we should be lamenting and grieving over this reality. Because we, every single one of us, have people in our daily lives who we know belong in that group. And we should all be grieving over it. And we shouldn't just be grieving, we should be saying, hey, we've been missing you. We want you to come. He receive God's gifts. But here's the thing. Those people, that, the group of people I mentioned, are pro may not necessarily be amongst us. They're here right at this moment. See, we may be the ones that think about what happens on your average Sunday morning. Just think about this Sunday. At the beginning of the service, you confessed your sins. Think about, just go through the Ten Commandments. You could think about what all that is. There are so many thoughts and deeds that we have done throughout the course of the week. Things that we would be ashamed that anybody knew that we did them or thought them. And yet, we hear those words. In the stand and by the command of my Lord of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are declared that your sins are forgiven. You don't have to wait for the sacrifice of an animal for that to happen. They are forgiven in Christ. Then you get to hear the writings of the Scripture. Think about it. For thousands... Thousands of years, they were waiting for the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And yet you get to hear every Sunday, you get to hear the words of Jesus himself out of the Gospels. You get to hear that the Messiah has come, and he has come for you. Yes, you collectively, but also you individually. He came. He suffered. He died for you. You get in a little bit. You do get to receive the body of Jesus specifically for you. You get to receive the blood of Jesus specifically for you. And you will receive the forgiveness of sins. And, I mean, think about what's been going on in this week, this world. If you haven't noticed, we have a little bit of water in the area. Fortunately here, it's gone down a bit. But still, there's a lot of water, a lot of flooding. A lot of cleanup that comes, up, comes after the water receding. On Friday, we heard of a horrific shooting in New Zealand. And in case you don't, one of the things is that I think some of us might be tempted to think that because they're Muslims... It's less tragic, but in, uh, uh, quite the contrary. Because they're Muslims, it's more tragic. Because that's not just physical death. 
That's eternal death. Because there is no salvation in Islam. We should grieve deeply. God does not take pleasure in the death of sinners. Neither should we. we sh God desires all people to be saved. And so should we. This is the world we live in. We live in a world in the midst of death. And so God gives us a gift of strength. To strengthen our faith. To help us to walk through this weary and broken world. He gives it to you. And so the question, so when you go home and you go about your day, people might ask you, what was church like? How was church? And our temptation is to say, well, I kind of like this hymn or I like that hymn or I didn't like this hymn. You know what the action, our answer should be every time? I heard Jesus and I received Jesus. It's awesome. That's it. But some reason we have this mind that it has to be packaged right. We demand a certain packaging as if the gift itself isn't good enough. It would be like, I mean, we should be like kids. If you ever watch kids typically on Christmas morning, do you think they care at all about the wrapping? They just tear it apart and they're happy. Ideally, they're happy about whatever's in there. If you just gave socks or underwear, probably not as exciting. But they get excited just by what it is. We have the gift of salvation, the gift of grace. That alone is a measure, immeasurable gift. But we complain if the packaging is not quite the way we want it to be. If it isn't presented or given to us just the right way. See, and it can be the littlest things as to why get, we complain. We, too, fall a little bit into this crowd to which Jesus and Paul are speaking. We, too, have the, the, the concerns of the world choking out the joy of salvation from us. Which is why I think it's so appropriate in, old, in Divine Service 3 or in the old TLH liturgy. I don't know if you notice that at the end of every, after every sermon, we sang the exact same words. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Those are the words of David from Psalm 51. They're very appropriate words that, to memorize because it is a prayer we could pray every day. Because in that gospel lesson, hidden in there is something that Jesus says. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. In the case of many people, they, they, never they never come back to the comfort of their Lord. But even as long as we draw breath on this earth, he is forever the hen. 
He is forever looking on at looking at us, longing to gather us in. His love will never turn away from us, no matter how small our joy may be. His grace still pours on us. He is still gathering us in. And he still gathers us in to his word, to hear his word, to receive his salvation, to be strengthened in this world. Those words, create in me a clean heart, are words that we can pray every day. Create in me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. In other words, let this world no longer choke out the joy of your salvation. Let me be a living beacon of hope and joy of your salvation to the world that is broken. Because there are so, so many people that need that light. They may be in your own home. It may be that when you go that may be that when you go to Zimmy's or Hardy's or wherever to eat, it may be the light just by being polite and kind to the server, to the waiter, to the waitress. I know they get busy. And sometimes the food doesn't come at the time you like it. It's patience, giving a generous tip. We are called to be lights. And so we pray again and again that he gives us it. And you know what God's answer is every single time? Yes, yes, yes. Through his word, through his sacrament, he creates in you a clean heart and he restores to you the joy of salvation. May it be until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We now stand and confess our faith in the word of the Lord.